All right, Genesis chapter 27. Genesis chapter 27. We're going to get back and talking about Jacob this Sunday morning. Genesis chapter 27. I'm going to give you a break from Revelations. It's been nothing but Scripture, Scripture, Scripture. I think last Sunday I turned to like 100 Scriptures. I'm surprised people didn't start throwing the Bibles up here at me and everything. I'm getting tired of turning, Pastor. But it was, we were talking about the Millennial Kingdom and uh, how, what the world's going to be like when Jesus Christ comes back. And uh, I'm here to tell you, He is coming back. Amen. And I'm looking for Him. And uh, if you don't know Him as your Lord and Savior, you need to get to know Him because the time is short. I don't know how much time the Lord's going to leave us on this earth before He comes and raptures the church out. And then as the Bible describes it, all hell is going to break loose on this earth. When the Lord comes back and He raptures out the church and God starts pouring His wrath out and you're seeing it happen around us, this very moment, if you turn on any TV screen, look at any news report, you're seeing it as the, uh, as the Muslims are marching in the street by the hundreds of thousands uh, chanting, they want to kill the Jew, they want to destroy the Jew. Everything that was prophesied about the hatred for the Jew out of this book, you're seeing it take place right before your very eyes. It's amazing to see it, but it just it gets me excited because it tells me that, hey, we're about to get out of here. Now, if you're in here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, that should, that should frighten you. What excites me about Jesus coming back should frighten you because that means judgment's coming. See, I know my judgment's already been paid for. For my sins. So when was it paid for? It was paid at the cross by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. But if you don't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you don't have no payment for your sin. You're going to stand before God, before the whole universe, and have to answer for your sin. And He knows everything you've done. And He's got it all written down. It's a scary and a fearful thing to think about. But I got some good news. That's the gospel, amen. The good news of Jesus Christ can get you out of that judgment and pay for it right now. That's what makes him so wonderful. All right, look at Genesis chapter 27, verse 41. Now, remember where we were at. Verse 41, Genesis chapter 27. Isaac was deceived, and I, I preached a sermon on how easy it is for you to be deceived. He's deceived by Jacob who came in and stole the birthright from Esau. Esau was the firstborn. He was supposed to get the blessing and the birthright. And Jacob came in and stole it. Out of, out of his, he stole the blessing from, out from, from Isaac. He stole it by deceiving him because Isaac was blind and, he so, and I went through all that. And then I showed, and a couple of some, some Sundays after that, I, I preached a sermon on Jacob sowing or reaping what he sowed. In other words, later on, he got deceived as he got his wife, Leah and Rachel. He got his wives, uh, he got deceived for them, and it was a real bad thing. I showed how. Uh, in the Bible, it shows you that God's not mocked whatever so, what sort of man soweth, that's what he's going to reap. That's a scary thought. But we're going to go back to verse 41, and we're going to go back to the story that whenever Jacob deceived his dad and stole the birthright from Esau, what happens right after that is very interesting. Verse 41, and Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand, then will I slay my brother Jacob. He said, you know, my dad's about to die, and as soon as my dad dies, I'm going to kill my brother. That's what he said. My dad's about to die, but as soon as my dad dies, I'm going to kill my brother. Verse 42, and these words of Esau, her elder son, were told to Rebekah. That's Esau's mom and Jacob's mom. And she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said unto him, Behold, thy brother Esau, as touching thee, doth comfort himself, pur purposing to kill thee. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, and arise, flee thou to Laban, my brother, in Haran, and tarry with him a few days, 
until thy brother's fury turn away. She says, hey, your brother's out to kill you. Jacob, why don't you just go up, go stay with my brother up in Haran and stay there for a few days. Whenever Jacob leaves, and we're about to read that Jacob leaves, Rebekah never sees her son again. This is a, he don't stay for a few days. He stays for 20 years, and she dies before he comes back. She kind of reaps what she sows for helping deceive her husband. Verse 45, Until thy brother's anger turn away from thee, and he forget that which, that which he hath, what thou hast done to him, then I will send and fetch thee from thence. Why should I be deprived also of you both in one day? Talking about both of them being killed. Verse 46, And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary in my life because of the daughters of Heth. Those are the Canaanites. If Jacob take a wife of the daughters of Heth, such as these which are of the daughters of the land, what good shall my life do to me? She says, I don't want my son marrying any of those no good Hatfields and McCoys, you know, type of thing. I don't like the daughters of the Hatfields. I want them to marry the daughters of the McCoys. So uh, she's talking to Isaac, says, I want my son Jacob to marry somebody in our family. Verse, now look at chapter 28, verse 1. This goes right into the next chapter. And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. That's the Canaanites of Heth. Arise, go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, my, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. And God Almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful and multiply thee that thou mayest be a multitude of people. So Isaac's blessing Jacob as he sends him away to get a wife. And give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee, and to thy seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land. Uh-oh. There's that dirty word, land. Inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abraham. So Isaac's saying, I want you to be blessed like your father, great-grandfather Abraham was blessed. And I want you to have that land. Just like he blessed Abraham, blessed me, and now it's going to you. Verse 5, And Isaac sent away Jacob, and he went to Padanaram unto Laban, the son of Bethuel the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray, Lord, as we get into your word and open up your Bible, Lord, I pray that these words will come off the page. Lord, help us to understand them. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us this morning into all truth. Lord, help us to understand some of the mistakes that Jacob makes, Lord, that we can see in our own life. And Lord, I pray, Father, if there's somebody underneath the sound of my voice that has never took, took their faith and put it in Jesus Christ and doesn't know if they're going to go to heaven or hell, if they were to die tonight, Lord God, I pray as we give the invitation at the end of this sermon, Lord, they come on down and get right with you, Lord, and get saved. In Jesus Christ, holy name I pray, amen. So we're going to go straight into this and, and see what, what's going to happen with Jacob. So Jacob's heading off to get those two daughters. And we've already looked at those, him getting his two daughters, I mean, excuse me, get his wives from uh, Laban. And we're kind of backtracking now and seeing what happened. Now look at verse 6. And when Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Pandanaram to take him a wife from thence, and that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge, saying, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. So Esau's listening to all this. And that Jacob obeyed his father and his mother and was gone to Pandanaram. So Esau sees that Jacob's following his mom and dad's instructions, going to go get a wife from Laban. Esau, the other brother, says, verse 8, And Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father, then went Esau unto Ishmael and took unto the wives which he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth, to be his wife. So Esau, knowing that that's going to make his, his dad doesn't want 
them to go to those daughters. That's exactly what Esau does out of spite. As a teenager, you ever done that to your mom or dad? They tell you something you don't like and you just go do it just out of spite? Man, y'all quiet in here. I guess y'all weren't as good a bad a kid as I was. I mean, my mom would tell me something. To tell me, that's like telling me not to do it was like telling me to go do it. And he's basically, because he's so mad about the situation, mad at Jacob, mad at Isaac, mad at his mom. He lost his birthright. Why did he remember? Now, let me say this. Do you remember why Esau lost his birthright? Because he sold it for a, a little bowl of, of soup, a porridge. Esau despised his birthright, the Bible says, and didn't care nothing about it until it was took away from him, and then all of a sudden it's the biggest deal in the world. That's when it was a big deal to him that it was took away from him. So he goes and he marries the daughter, a daughter of Ishmael, a Canaanite. That's exactly what. So he basically is envious and ha holds a grudge here. Uh, the best thing I've ever heard on this is holding an envious grudge is like drinking poison. It's like drink, you drinking poison and waiting for somebody else to die. Amen. Having an envious grudge is like you're drinking the poison, but you're waiting for somebody else to die. Because that envy and that grudge will just eat you up like a cancer. It'll kill you. While somebody else is happy, and they don't even know you're envious or grudge. They have a gr grudge. You ever had that happen? Well, you, you get mad at somebody, and you can't forgive them, and then you're at Walmart, and you see them, and they don't know you're mad at them, and they're trying to wave you down, and you're trying to hide from them. You ever had that happen? That happened to me all the time. I mean, just like a couple weeks ago. No, not a couple weeks ago. But the truth is, I've been parts of my life where somebody's made me mad, and I'm like, man, I don't like them. You know, you can't forgive them, amen. And then you see them in Walmart, and you're like, oh, they're so-and-so. You're kind of trying to hide, and you're, you're running through Walmart, and they're like, hey, there's Keegan. Hey, Keegan, how you doing? And you're like, I hate you. I don't, oh. You don't want to talk to them. They're happy, they're happy as can be. They have no idea that we're supposed to be mad at each other, amen. They don't get it. That's the same thing. You're drinking poison while waiting for somebody else to die. It's no good. It's no good for you. And uh, any of you young teenagers in here, uh, your parents are right. I'll just say that straight out. I know you don't want to hear it from a bald-headed old preacher, but your parents are right. Uh, my parent, my mom was right. And it took me making a lot of mistakes to look back and go, you know what, I think she was right on that. I remember my old uncle came up to me, and I had gotten a little bit of money, and he goes, let me tell you what you need to do with this money. You need to do this, this, this. And he's telling me it was really, really good advice. And I followed none of it. And I took that money and I blew it. And then I looked back and I was like, man, what an idiot. What, what? I was such an idiot. I didn't listen to it. So, so, such wise advice. Now, I know I'm, I'm talking to some of you teenagers in here and it goes right over your head. You're not going to listen to me. But at least one day maybe come back and say, you know what, preacher, you're right. I should have listened to my mom and dad. You know why? Because they love you. They want what's best for you. Esau doesn't take that advice. Verse 10. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. Now Beersheba, if you look on a map of Israel, Beersheba is kind of south of Israel. And then it, they're going to head up to Haran, which is way up, kind of like in modern-day Syria. It's kind of north of Israel, modern-day Syria. So it's pretty far distance. But you're at south, is south of Israel, and, and, and Jacob's going to head up north going towards Haran. And then something's going to happen to him. Verse 11, and he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. So he gets tired. He's going to get, so get some stones together to make a pillow and he's going, to, he's going to sleep that night. But verse 12, and he dreamed. And behold, a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. 
And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. So he has this dream, and there's this great ladder right there. It touches the earth, and it goes all the way up into heaven. And he can see the angels coming down on it, and he can see the angels going up on it. And that's the dream he has. You know what that is, that ladder is? That ladder is Jesus Christ. See, when you get to knowing Jesus Christ, and then you go back and start reading the Old Testament, start going back and reading Genesis, you'll go, hey, there's Jesus. Look at, okay, just keep your hand here. Look at John chapter 1. Some of y'all not believing me, maybe. John chapter, that's Jesus. It's amazing. And Jesus even quotes, look at this, John chapter 1. When Jesus uh, first meets Nathaniel, he, of course, he impresses Nathaniel. And, and, uh, verse, uh, verse 48, look at John chapter 1, verse 48. So Jesus Christ, Nathaniel's brought to Jesus Christ by Philip. So Philip brings Nathanael to Jesus Christ. And when he brings Nathanael to Jesus Christ, verse 48, Jesus knows him. In verse 47, Nathanael said unto him, saith unto him, verse 48, Whence knowest thou me? Other words, how do you know me, Jesus? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when, I, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. <laughs> well, that was way, there's no way Jesus could have seen that, but he did. And the thing is like, how do you know who I am? He goes, well, you know, I, before Philip went and got you, I saw you hanging out underneath that fig tree. Nathaniel knows that it's impossible that Jesus could have physically seen him under that fig tree. Of course, the Lord Jesus being the Son of God, God manifest in the flesh. Verse 49, 49 Nathaniel answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Well, you don't have much to convince him. Nathaniel knew instantly, he said, come on, this guy's special. He's the Son of God. He's the king of Israel. But look what Jesus' answer is to him. Jesus, Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? <laughs> is that all that takes for you to believe? That's pretty impressive. Thou shalt see greater things than these. Verse 51, now look at this. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Wow. Jacob's ladder, that's Jesus Christ. Why is that Jesus Christ, preacher? That's Jesus Christ because only Jesus Christ could have one foot in, on the earth and one hand in heaven. Only Jesus Christ. There's only one mediator between man and God. It's the man, Jesus Christ. That's it. He's the only one. Jesus Christ the only one that can have one hand grab your hand and grab the hand of God and put you all together and make you at one. Only Jesus Christ. Nobody else is qualified. Nobody, no, Muhammad, uh, Buddha, there's nobody else qualified like Jesus Christ. He's the only one that's the Son of God and the Son of Man, both. He's born of a virgin as the Son of Man. He's born as you were, as a Son of Man, but He was the Son of God. God was His Father. It was a miraculous virgin birth. He's the Son of God and the Son of Man. It's the Son of Man that walks and gets tired and gets thirsty. It's the Son of God that says, if you drink of what I give you, you'll never thirst again. Amen. That's the Son of God. He's the only one qualified to do it. He's Jacob's ladder. He's got one part of himself up in heaven and the other part down here on earth. Some of y'all not getting it, but look at John chapter 3. Go to John chapter 3. Go to John chapter 3, verse 13. So this is the famous story of Nicodemus that uh, we recently read, met a Jehovah's Witness has never heard this story before, but 
This is the famous story of Nicodemus where Jesus goes to Nicodemus, a religious leader, and talks to the religious leader and tells the religious leader, Nicodemus, you must be born again. That second birth, we talked about it in Sunday school. But one of the things, one of the miraculous things that I've read John chapter 3 probably a hundred times. And on the hundred and first time, verse 13 stopped, I'm like, what? I've never seen that before. What's going on there? Look at what Jesus says in verse 13. Well, verse 12. If I have to, look at verse 12 for context. If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Talking to Nicodemus. Now look. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that come down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Now wrap your mind around that. He said, no one's been up to heaven, but the Son of Man who come down from heaven, who's in heaven right now. Let's read it again. Makes no sense. <laughs> That's why we're going to read it again. No man hath ascended up to heaven. Nobody's went up to heaven. But he that came down from heaven, that would be Jesus, even the Son of Man, Jesus, which is in heaven. He's saying, I'm right here, but I'm up in heaven right now. Now, how is that possible? That's called the Trinity. What the, how that's possible is, He's God manifest in the flesh. He's up in heaven as God, but He's down on earth as Jesus Christ. The Son of Man is down here talking to Nicodemus, but at the same time, He's up in heaven. How's that, how is that possible? It's hard to explain. Let me, let me explain it this way. My wife works at Goldthwait. My phone's in my pocket. My phone rings in Brownwood, Texas. I pick up the phone. I look. It's my wife. She's calling in. I better answer, amen. So I answer my phone see, to get my marching orders. I answer my phone. My phone starts talking to me. Is my wife in Goldthwait or is she in Brownwood? I'm going to tell you right now that she's in Brownwood right now telling me what I need to do, amen. You need to pick up this. I need you to go do this. That literally is my wife is manifesting out. But is she in Goldthwait or is she in Brownwood? She's in both. See, technology, instead of, see, people think technology does away with God. What technology does is helps us to understand God. You got less and less reasons not to believe. It's all right there. Jesus Christ is Jacob's ladder. Let's go back. Let's go back. Let's go back to Genesis. He is Jacob's ladder. He's, uh, he's, Jesus Christ has got one foot on the earth. He's got one foot up in heaven, one, one hand up in heaven. That's how he can grab you and say, I'm going to save you. And he can be God, grab God's hand. He can put us together and make us at one. Jesus Christ is everything that we sing about. Jesus Christ is everything that we pray about, that we shout about, that we amen about. Jesus Christ is everything we're putting our faith in. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you've got the right one. And, it's, if you, and you, might not, you might be a young Christian. You might be saying, well, I believe and I took my faith and put in Jesus Christ. Listen to me. The longer you study Jesus Christ, you'll realize everybody else, they're fakers. They can't do it. You say, well, how do you for sure Jesus can do it? Because he's the one that went in the grave and died and came out again. The resurrection proves his deity. Above all else. Well, back in Genesis chapter 28. Man, I love preaching about Jesus Christ. I could preach, I could, every sermon could be about Jesus Christ. But we're going to focus here on, uh, on Jacob and the ladder. And he dreamed, and behold, verse 12, And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. That's a great type of Jesus Christ. 
Verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac. See, you can read that and just skip right over it and not realize what God's saying. Let's read that again. Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father. See, this is the very verses that Jesus Christ used against the Sadducees. See, the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. The Sadducees didn't believe that a person comes up from the grave. They believed that you died and that's it. And Jesus Christ was being questioned by them. And he said, what did he say about the resurrection? He said, do you not realize that you serve a God? Jesus Christ says, we have a, the God is a God of the living, not the dead. He called Abraham. He talked about Abraham like he was alive. Abraham's been dead for years, but what did he just say? I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father. He didn't say, I was the Lord God of Abraham. Notice that? See, you can skip right over it and not realize, our God is the great I am. He said, I am the God of Abraham. He's alive. I am the God of Abraham. Whenever Moses came and said to the burning bush and, said, and God was talking to Moses and Moses says, God, who do I say sent you? What's your name? He says, you know what, Moses? You just tell him I am that I am. You tell him that I am sent you. The great I am. That's important, brothers and sisters. You've got to grab a hold. That's very, very important. God is the God of the living. When I talk about my mom who's passed away, I talk about her in the present tense. She's alive up in heaven with Jesus Christ. I believe that with all my heart. When I buried her in that grave, that was her body, not her soul. Amen. My God's a God of the living. Yeah. He's not the God of the dead. Those are dead bodies. Those souls that are believing, they're up in heaven with Jesus Christ. My mom is alive right now, thanks to Jesus Christ. He's the God of the living. And he says, he's talking to Jacob. He says, I am the Lord God of, thy, of Abraham, thy father. Not was. He's not, I was that I was. Go tell him I was sent you. He says, I am sent you. Jesus comes into the, the New Testament. Jesus talking. And Jesus Christ says, I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection. He said all of that. I am the light of the world. I am that I am. Before Abraham was, I am, he said. They pick up stones to kill him. Why? Because he's claiming deity. I am speaks to this. Wherever you at, if it's in the Old Testament, if it's in the New Testament, if it's in 26 BC, if it's in 2023, 2023 AD, God is there right now. I am. I am that I am. I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed. Great promise of the Bible. He just got given the land. You might not realize how important that is. That's what's going on in the world today. So what's going on in the world today? They want to run that Jew off that land. To the sea, to the sea, to the sea. They want to run, the land. They want to run Israel to the sea and don't want them to drown them. Run them to the sea. Let's run them off the land. So what does our great, our great intelligent leaders want to do? They want to part the land. We want to give them this little piece of Gaza so have, the Palestinians will have a place to stay. Well, all it is is a place for them to shoot rockets at them every day to the Jew. That's all that is. And so finally they broke through, and what did, what did Israel, what's Israel doing now? They're like, we're done with this. We're going to wipe them off. We're going to get rid of 
that land of God. So then our, our presidential leaders, they come up and say, oh, we need to part the land. We need to give them land. We need to take that land and we need to divide it up. Do you not realize in Daniel chapter 9, that's a direct prophecy of the Antichrist? It says that the Antichrist, he will divide the land for gain. That land we're talking about. And God right here says to Jacob in a vision as God Almighty, he says, I am the land wherein thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. To thy seed. Turn to Genesis chapter 16. Turn to Genesis chapter 16, brothers and sisters. Turn to Genesis chapter, turn back. I want to show this to you. This is all prophecy. What you're seeing in this Bible that was written 3,800 years ago, God was telling, this, God was telling us 3,800 years ago what you need to be watching for when you watch CNN and Fox News. Some of y'all don't know that, but. Genesis 16. So in the beginning, God calls a man out called Abram. That's in Genesis chapter 12. His name was Abram, and later on he calls him Abram, the father of many nations. So Abram, he has a wife called Sarah. She can't have a child. So Abram and Sarah, Sarah in her great wisdom says, Hey, why don't you go with my maid? Go, have, go lay with my maid, she'll have a child, and then that child she has from Hagar will be my child, because I own that maid, that maid belongs to me, you go have a child with that maid, and then I'll have a child, and that child will be, from, be ours. And that child he had was called Ishmael. Does that sound familiar? Ishmael, and that where Esau went to get his wife? From Ishmael? So God shows up, and God tells Abraham, no, no, your wife's going to have a child. Sarah's going to have a child, and that's going to be the chosen one. His name's going to be Isaac. Isaac means laughter. Why did God call him, why did they name him laughter? Because when God says you're going to have a child at 90 years old, she laughed. Remember? And the Lord said, why is Sarah your, why is Sarah your wife laughing? And she said, Lord, I didn't laugh. <laughs> you know what she said? Lord, I didn't laugh. And he said, yeah, you did laugh. Genesis chapter 16. So this son, verse 11. Genesis chapter 16, verse 11. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, this is Hagar. She's been cast out because she's, she's about to have a child. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, to Hagar, Behold, thou art with child, and thou shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. Here's the description of Ishmael. Now, if y'all don't know about Ishmael, Ishmael is simply that Muhammad claimed that he was a 72nd descendant of Ishmael. So a lot of the Muslims, Palestinians, a lot of people you see on TV, the Arabians, they're directly descended from Ishmael. They're half Abraham, half Hagar. Okay? And this is the prophecy of those people. Now, see if this doesn't sound like the prophecy. Look at this. Look at verse 12. I didn't, this has been in your Bible the whole time. He will be a wild man. Does that sound like somebody descended from Ishmael? Boom, blowing things up. I saw last night the police department in New York City, they were hiding behind doors and they were kicking the doors trying to get in. Ishmael's descendants with flags screaming and hollering and Look like a Baptist, Baptist revival whenever they don't go right. He will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man. What does that sound like? 
That sound like any Muslims or Islamic or anything you've been, or Palestinians or Hamas. That sound like anything like they've been doing lately? Their hand, they're a wild man, their hand against every man, and every man's hand against him. Just stirring it up, always stirring it up, stirring it up. What does that sound like? Then look at that. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. <laughs> and they all dwell within about 400 miles of each other over there. Just all just right there, just killing each other. Jordan, Kuwait, Egypt, Turkey, and then there's Israel. And that land was given to them by God. And the Jews is in there since 1948 as a nation, and they're all coming against them. And have been. And that was a direct prophecy of God, what he, how he was going to be. That sounds pretty close to me. Does that sound close to you? If you're honest, I think you would say yes. Look at chapter 17, verse 7. Look at chapter 17, verse 7. This is the land agreement. I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee and their generations for an everlasting covenant. It's a covenant, an everlasting covenant to be a God, to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And look at verse 8. And I will give unto thee and unto thy seed, that would be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. That land belongs to the Jew. It doesn't belong to us. It doesn't belong to, Israel, to, to the Muslim, to Hamas, to, to America, to Canada, to the Pope. That land belongs to Israel, to the Jew. That's who it belongs to. It doesn't belong to us. Now skip down to verse 19. And God said, Sarah, thy wife, shall bear thee a son indeed. Here's the prophecy. And thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him, with Isaac, for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. There's, there's no conditions on this. That land belongs to the Jew no matter how they're doing, how they're acting, how they're with God, how they're not with God. They own that land. That land belongs to them, brothers and sisters. And notice what he says, verse 20. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him, and they're blessed, and will make him fruitful, and they're fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. And he has twelve princes shall be begat, and I will make him a great nation. And he has. But look at verse 21. This, this separates out the men from the boys. Verse 21. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. So what God's saying there in those verses, brothers and sisters, is simply this. He's saying, I'm making an agreement with Abraham, and it's not going to go for that land. It's not going through Ishmael. It's going through Isaac. And then after Isaac, it goes to Jacob. And then what you're reading back, go back to Genesis chapter 28. What you're reading, it goes all the way to his 12 sons, which is the 12 tribes of Israel, which is what the Jew is today. That land belongs to a Jew. It doesn't belong to anybody else. So what you see going on right now on TV is the devil. Through Hamas and through the Palestinians and Islam trying to get back a piece of property that doesn't belong to them. It belongs to the Jew. And it's always going to belong to the Jew. So back in Genesis chapter 28. Go back to Genesis chapter 28. He says there in verse 13, The land wherein thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. So that promise of the everlasting covenant passes the, 
passes down three generations right there. It's going to continue to pass down. What's amazing is when you know this truth, and you look what's going on in the world today, you'll see that God's hand is moving, getting Israel ready for the return of Jesus Christ. It's, it's an amazing prophecy. So let's continue on. Verse 14. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, talking to Jacob. And thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. Well, is that what happens? Yeah. When, he, when, it, when Jacob's sons, when they, get, when they go start spreading out, when, especially after 2000 A.D., I mean, after, uh, after uh, 72 A.D., when they're spread out, when Jerusalem's destroyed, they're spread out all over the known world, the Jew is. And that was prophesied. And this is part of that prophecy. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Well, there's a direct prophecy. Can we prove that? Okay, let's think about this. First, Abraham was promised that his seed would be as many as the stars of heaven. And all the, all the families of the earth will be blessed through Abraham and the stars of heaven. That's a heavenly blessing. That's directly related to you taking Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And the man, Jesus Christ, you took as your Lord and Savior, as the Son of Man, I hate to tell you this, he's a Jew. Of the, he's, a, he's of the tribe of Judah. The lion of the tribe of Judah. He's a Jew. And you're blessed spiritually as the stars of heaven. But notice, this is a physical blessing. Verse 14, And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. So as Abraham was of the stars in the sky and the heavens, he says, yours is like the dust of the earth. It's an earthly blessing. So can we think and sit here and meditate? Are we blessed on the earth because of the Jew? We are. Yes, yes we are. You know that most of the inventions you have today, including Google or thanks to a Jew? <laughs> Doctors and scientists. When you think of what's the smartest man to ever live, a lot of people would say off the top of their head, maybe Albert Einstein, he's a Jew. <laughs> he's a Jew. They just made a movie about the atomic bomb, Oppenheimer. Guess what? He was a Jew. This doesn't end. Most of us don't realize unless you start meditating on how blessed you are. Do you like watching movies? I like to watch a good movie. They're almost all Jews. You say, well, he doesn't have a Jewish name because he changed his last name because you don't like Goldberg or Spielberg. So he changes his name. Greatest director to ever live, Steven Spielberg. They're all Jews. Weinstein. They're, remember all the Weinsteins? They're all in trouble. They produced all those movies. and they're, These are Jews, Jewish brothers. They're all Jews. Maybe you don't realize it. The Jews have all... Let me, let me give you this stat. 30% of the Nobel Prize winners are Jews. They only make up 0.2% of the world's population. But they're 30% of the Nobel Prize winners. Per capita, there's more geniuses in the Jews' race than any other race. That's proven fact. You say, well, those Jews, they're in control of all the banks and the system, banking systems. They're running the Illuminati. You're probably right. Because <laughs> they are running everything. Everybody knows George Washington, amen? We, we, we celebrate George Washington. George Washington, there's a reason why we have America today. Well, put the brakes on a little bit. You know how, what, how George Washington got to fight? Because of a Jew, a Jewish banker. You ever heard of Haim Salomon? Probably don't teach you that in school. 
He's a financial hero, businessman, and broker. Haim Salomon was responsible for raising most of the money needed to finance the American Revolution. He was a Jew. And later to save the new nation from collapse. To this day, Haim Salomon remains one of the most forgotten members of the founding generation. Yet the revolution may have failed without the financial support and mind of this Polish-born Jew. Still, he remains sadly but a footnote in the founding of the United States. What did he do? Let me tell you a story about Salomon. The Continental Troops had yet to be paid. They were getting paid, the troops that were fighting the revolution. Washington, George Washington had no money and neither did the Congress. Rumbles of mutiny spread in the American ranks. Washington estimated that he needed about $20,000 to conduct operations, feed, provision, and clothe his army. Robert Morris wrote Washington that there was no money to be had. There's no more money, George. We're out of money. It's ended. The revolution's ended. Washington demanded that Morris send for Haim Salomon. Go find Haim Salomon. Salomon once again put to work his exceptional financial skills, securing the necessary loans for the cash that Washington needed. Thus, Washington and his French allies were able to defeat the British at Yorktown, Virginia, and bring an end to eight years of fighting. It was a Jew. A Jew is one of the reasons why you have America today. You know what they did with that Jew? They never paid him back. America was broke. He died a debtor at, at age 44. He died a debtor in debtor's prison because America couldn't pay back the debts they owed him. And you don't hear his name at all. I have nothing against George Washington, but I'm here to tell you that when you get to investigating this and get to meditating on this, get to look into this, you know why you're here today? It's because of Jews. You know why you're going into heaven? It's because of a Jew dying on the cross. Boy, it's quiet in here. Y'all don't like Jews? You don't like it. Say, God's not a racist. No, he's not a racist. He's got a chosen race, though. It's the Jew. It's not the Irish. It's not the Germans. It's not the Scottish. It's not black, Spanish, uh, Chinese. It's, not, it's a Jew. That's God's chosen people. And you see it all through the Bible. And you got 3,800 years going on, 3,800 years of prophecy and the Word of God proven out to be true. And you're seeing it come to pass before our very eyes. Look at verse 15. Let's move on. I see that's going over like a lead balloon. You know what? I hope you don't, I hope you don't have an attitude about the Jew. Man, I hope you don't. I, I pray to God. I'm serious. I'm serious as a heart. I'm not joking around right now. I hope you don't have an attitude about the Jew. I'm not saying they're perfect. I'm not saying they don't do things that are wicked. They do all those things. But their God's eye is on the Jew. And he said, I'll, I'll bless them that bless you. I'll curse them that curse you. That's a promise. He said, they're the apple of my eye. They're, they're wicked. They do things that are nasty. They do things that are, are, are corrupt. And you have every reason not to like them. But I'm going to give you some really, really good advice. Just keep your mouth shut. <laughs> Don't say nothing about them. Say, mm, 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 mm. I, 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 a long time ago, when I started finding out my Bible, a long time ago, I stopped saying, they Jewed me out of that. You ever heard somebody say that? They Jewed me out of this, or they Jewed me out of that. Or they, I, 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 I cut all that out of my vocabulary. When I started reading Genesis, chapter, chapter Genesis, the whole book of Genesis, and then I, I fast-forwarded to Matthew where Jesus Christ says, every idle word man's going to give account of in the day of judgment. I'm like, mm, I'm going to stop talking about the Jew real quick. Amen. amen. I got more sense than that. Mama didn't raise a fool, amen. I might look stupid, but I'm not a fool. Verse 15. And behold, God says to Jacob, Behold, I'm with thee. 
and will keep thee in all places, whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land. Behold, he says, I'm with thee, with the Jew, and will keep thee in all places where thou goest. Not just the promised land, all places. And will bring thee again into this land. There's a promise. And for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. Now, I want y'all to, to think about this. These promises that God's given Jacob is after he just got through lying and conniving and stealing the birthright of his brother. But see, what God has is the great I am. And God's not looking at this time right now. What God's seeing is Jacob when he comes back to Bethel. And he does later on. And Jacob comes back to Bethel. It's not the same Jacob that leaves Bethel. It's a different Jacob. Brothers and sisters, when God saved me at 17, you don't know the Keegan he saved. He saved one of the sorriest people you would ever meet. But God could see Keegan in 2023. And when he saved you, you think you were something special. You were a nobody, and God could see what he was going to do with you. He's got those eternal eyes. He's the great I am. He's not just stuck in one time period. He knows how it's going to be in the end. And you see some sorry, no good sinner. But man, what you don't see is God's redemptive power. How he can redeem. And he's going to redeem Jacob, this sorry, no good, lying, conniving uh, Jew. He's going, to, he's going to redeem Jacob, and when he brings him back, these are all promises that he's going to have. And look at verse 16. And Jacob, Jacob awaked out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. You know the Lord can be in a place and you not know it? Amen. The Lord can be in a place and you not know it. You know the Lord might be in you and you not know it? You might be saved in here this morning. Be a born-again believer, and you don't realize that God is dwelling in you. Every one of you. See, there's no more tabernacle. You go to Jerusalem, there's no temple. It's destroyed. Well, where's the temple? Where does God reside? The Bible says now the temple is your body. And God's residing in each one of us is the, through the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, he was afraid. Jacob was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. I think it's interesting that he calls it the gate of heaven. Why? Because Jesus Christ says, Enter ye at the straight gate. Jesus is that gate. He's not only the ladder, he's the gate. He's not only the ladder, he's not only the gate, he's the door. He's not only the ladder, he's not only the gate, he's not only the door, he's the great bread of life. He's all those things. I'm here to tell you, Jesus Christ is exactly what you need. I don't know what you need, but he's the answer. He is the I am, the I am of whatever you need. You need you're in darkness, I am the light. You're in need of life, I am the life. You're in need of a way, I am the way. You're in need of resurrection, I am the resurrection. You're in need of, are you hungering for righteousness? I am the bread. You're hungering for righteousness? I am, I am the water. Come drink of me and you'll never thirst again. Man, all this, Jesus is anything you need. I don't know what you need, but Jesus knows what you need. He can provide it for you this morning. He's the gate of heaven. And verse 18, And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. That oil is a sign of anointing. Like Jesus is our rock of our salvation. He's anointed through the Holy Spirit. That's all types of of Jesus Christ. He, Jesus isn't every bit of this. 
I love my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I can't get enough of him, and I hope you can't either. Verse 19, and he called the name of that place Bethel. El, the El at the end of Bethel. El is Elohim, like God, and Beth to be house. That's saying house of God. But the name of that city was called Luz at the first. He changed the name of Luz to Bethel. But notice verse 20, 21, and 22. We're closing now. And as we close, I want you to notice this, what Jacob does. This shows you the condition of Jacob. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. Oh, man. Wow. Those if and thens. This, this, isn't, uh, this isn't computer programming. Those if and thens. You know, if this, then that. If this, no, this is not how God works. That's how Jacob's working. If God will do this, he's, see, he, what, what Jacob's doing is a modern-day prosperity message. If you'll do this, God's going to give you a house. God's going to give you a new car. God's going to give you a blessing. God's going if, if God, God doesn't need you. He doesn't need Jacob. He doesn't need you. He doesn't, it, it, it's the way Jacob's talking, if God will be with me, then shall the Lord be my God. And if he don't, then I guess I'll go find somebody else to be my God. That's nonsense. So many, so many young Christians pray that way. If God, you'll give me this brand new car, God. If you'll give me this brand new car, I'll make sure that I go to church every Sunday. Man, how often does that work? Well, it never worked for me because I never got a brand new car. Maybe some of it worked for y'all. It never, it never worked for me. You know why God didn't give me a brand new car when I was a young man? Because he knew I'd be going honky-tonking every Sunday instead of going to church. Some of y'all youngers don't know what honky-tonking is. <laughs> I'd be gone. I had a brand new car. I'd be down in Vegas. I, the last thing I'd have on my... And the Lord knows that. So that I come again to my father. See, it's a prosperity message. If God will be with me and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, that's our prosperity message, so that I come again to my Father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And, all that, and of all that that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. He promises, Lord, if you'll be good to me, man, if you'll, Lord, if you'll just let me win this lottery of a million dollars, I'll give you a hundred thousand, Lord, I'll tithe it. How many Christians have prayed that prayer? A lot. You know what's sad about that? That little promise that uh, Jacob just did right there? You never read what he tithed. He never, you never read it. He never tithed. If he did, he, you never read it. He never was recorded as tithing in the Bible. And Jacob is one of the most wicked men in the whole Bible. He's a conniving Cheating, sorry, no good dog, but eventually, you know what he's going to do? He's going to wrestle with God. He's going to get right. He's going to take him wrestling with God. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. 
So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3, verse 16, and most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's an amazing verse, of course, talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it. And if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a Savior right now. Same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13 he sums it up. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care upon him